Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast, where we take a peek behind the scenes into different fields of social work, engage and inspire practitioners, translate research into practice and encourage lifelong learning. I'm your host, Marie Vakakis. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Inside Social Work podcast. I hope you're all doing well and for those of you locally in Australia, I hope you're starting to to feel okay about the current COVID restrictions um, and are doing okay with the weather. Uh, it's starting to get a bit darker, a bit colder and um, restrictions have changed again for us recently. So a lot of change in the air, a lot of things happening, uh, it's requiring a lot of patience a lot of adaptability uh, and just it's a very difficult time so I hope you're doing well and don't forget to uh, have some self-compassion we know these are really difficult times uh, not just for the people we work with but for ourselves for our friends and family uh, and for our loved ones today's episode I chat with Jen Weedman Jen has had a really interesting career and has landed in social work and she started working in women's refuges so she set up a counseling practice inside women's refuges she's a real got a real passion and a real interest for working with women in particular in um, the homelessness sector uh, and survivors of family violence and domestic violence and she talks we talk a little bit about the model that she works from and some of the things that she brings into her work and how she's adapted the work that she does to be flexible to the needs of the women she works with but also her varying um, work-life balances and the needs that she has. I hope you enjoy my episode with Jen Weedman. Welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast. Today I'm chatting with Jen Weedman. Welcome Jen. Hello, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so you're across a couple of different things. Do you want to um, give the audience a bit of a introduction into who you are and how you got here? Yeah, absolutely. So I am across a couple of things. I'm a social worker by trade and recently accredited mental health social worker in the last couple of years. Um, I work in the public health setting. um, So I carry that job title and that includes a lot of, you know, assessments and support for um, people experiencing mental health concerns. Um, And I've also uh, set up my own private practice in the last 12 months and that supports um, kind of two avenues. I've got kind of a mainstream look and feel of a private practice and then I've got this social enterprise arm of that private practice um, as well and that's working in um, the specific areas of homelessness and domestic violence. Before we, I'd love to hear more about that, but do you have um, any kind of, did you, how did you get into social work? What was your journey? Was it yeah. a straightforward thing or did you come at it through somewhere else? <laughs> yes, I have been all over the place. So um, my undergrad, I did social science, human services undergrad. So, you know, that really lovely broad thing. And I fell straight away into some heavy policy work uh, with our state government and stay there doing some policy and program development work for a few years. Then I thought, right, that's a bit too serious for such a young person. I'm going to do the total opposite thing. And I hooked up an AusAid volunteer contract and lived and worked overseas in community development 
in Solomon Islands. Um, so that was amazing. Um, then I came back and didn't quite fit in, which feels, you know, that's really normal. That happens. Um, reverse culture shock. So I hooked up another overseas contract and went and did um, community NGO um, kind of, um, what's the word, infrastructure and program development there in Indonesia. So I lived and worked there for a year and a half, uh, working with an NGO that supports kids and young people up to 25 who couldn't afford to go to school. So we did a variety of kind of engagement um, activities there. Um, I've also, so I came back from that uh, and I went into the community sector and I went into working with young people. So I was a youth worker at um, a flexible learning centre. So that's alternative education for young people who don't fit or kind of get kicked out of the mainstream school settings. Um, and we did a range of activities there, including things like adventure-based learning and some welfare programs there. Um, a lot of family and community um, kind of work as well. And uh, yeah, really intense kind of communities, very multicultural communities, lots of substance use and some criminality going on there. Um, so yeah, that was an incredible experience for me. I feel like I really got my hands dirty there. Um, and then I, I kind of felt myself burning out a little bit from that after three or so years from that. And I really was trying to think, well, what am I, what am I passionate about? I'm kind of feel like I'm, you know, trying a few different things. Um, I've always, um, I've always been passionate about working with women. Um, and as a feminist, that seems like a really kind of natural progression. And uh, something just came up about working in a women's supported accommodation. So essentially like a supported shelter where there's caseworkers on site. And so I moved over to there and was um, the overnight crisis worker, if you like. So um, supporting women uh, in a sleepover model in that setting and then later on case management there. And just that was, um, that was it, you know, that I've, I kind of felt this thing click for me. Um, and it's, I haven't really looked back and I thought, okay, well, I'm really getting it now. I'm really figuring out, um, yeah, this, this is what I'm interested in. Women's issues, women's health, women's well-being, um, and all the things that that encompasses. Um, I was really fortunate to stay there for a while. And then I kind of realized, Hey, I, I need to upskill. I've been doing this for 10 years. I'm not technically a social worker yet. I want more. I want to be recognized, you know, qualified, industry qualified, you know, um, and to be able to kind of take my career to that next uh, level, including financial level as well, um, but also challenge. So I went back to study and I did uh, my Masters of Social Work qualifying for two years while doing shift work at the women's shelter and also at a, another homelessness shelter for, um, you know, for everybody else. Um, and that was incredibly challenging, um, but really, again, took, took my learnings and my own passions to this deeper level around, ah, this, this feels right. So I was still kind of feeling my way through, I guess, a little bit. Um, 
and I started to think, all right, well, I'm, I'm passionate about women's issues. I've, I've, I'm in this homelessness space as well. And I feel like this, these are really where um, there's so many issues coming up and people really need a lot of support here. These are the, the forgotten, if you like, often in society. Um, and I started to see a lot of crisis come up that were mental health related. And I've always had this thing in the back of my mind where, um, you know, I'd love to work in mental health, but I'm, I was a bit intimidated by it. I think if I'm honest, I thought, oh, well, I'd, it's a bit, it's a bit clinical. I don't want to like judge people. I don't want to label people. So I thought I might just, I might try and learn a bit more about it to see see it yeah see how I feel about it if my judgments are on the mark or not and so I found my master's work um, I was really focusing on a lot of mental health practice and um, focus for my assignments and projects there and I got a placement in an acute care response team and yes it was in you know a public mental health service so there was that element of clinical um, pathology attached to that but I feel like um, I could take learnings from that and then go and deliver them um, in, a, in real life settings, if you like. Um, so, yeah, completed my master's and was interested in continuing this mental health journey in these population groups that I'd found myself um, deeply passionate about. And, um, yeah, uh, finished my master's and decided to stay working with the public mental health system. So I've done a number of roles there across adults and adolescents, um, you know, case management, crisis work, complex work. Um, but I missed, I missed my, uh, my real world issues, if you like, the, the working one-on-one -on -one with people in crisis um, and figuring things out together. So I, decided to double. So I doubled in um, setting up uh, what that would look like. Um, and I knew that there was a gap. I knew that there was a gap in these uh, homelessness services and shelters who weren't receiving, or the people who lived there weren't receiving the mental health support that they needed. Not in the way, not in a therapeutic way that they needed. It was you know, often very reactive crisis stuff. Um, so I decided to approach some of my old contacts and say, hey, you know, I'm now an accredited mental health social worker and I, um, I know this industry, you know me, how about I come and provide some counselling to the people who live here? Um, and so that's, yeah, that's my journey to date. And that's also, um, you know, a bit of the entry point into my current practice as well. Um, it's kind of um, enmeshed together. Yeah. You should have led with all of this. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting because I think we we only see people where they're at now in terms mm. of other practitioners. I mean, for this the purpose of this podcast, and it's it's really mm. nice to hear people's stories that it's not a one size fits all. That people yeah. try different things. Sometimes they have a complete change of career, and then some incorporate new skills or upskill or move slightly sideways and incorporate it all together. And I think it's really nice to hear that there are different ways. And if something doesn't exist, you can create it. Mm, and it doesn't absolutely. have to be a big global thing, you know, but working one day a week in mm. a women's refuge and providing service, that's combining two skill sets that you've got. Mm. 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, you're right. You know, it's, um, it's definitely been a process of figuring things out. And I guess, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. That's certainly my personality structure. But, you know, to think that I had it all planned out from the beginning, whew, no way. <laughs> what are some of the things you learned about yourself along the way? So starting off in mm. policy, then moving into community development, Solomon Islands, Indonesia, mm. a stint back in Oz in between. What did you learn about yourself? Gosh, great question. Um, I, I learned that I can learn really quickly. Um, I've adapted to a lot of different settings um, and that change became my normal, um, almost to the point where I had to check myself and be, you know, a bit reflective around, are you just changing because that's what you're used to doing? Um, or do you really want and, and need, you know, this next challenge or change? Um, so, yeah, I, I'm really proud actually of the way that I can adapt um, in locations with different people and population groups. And I think those skills um, and qualities are invaluable. Um, and I also learned that it's okay to not know as well. Um, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to have a plan, but you know, not to be completely brokenhearted if the, the plan doesn't end up looking like you thought it would. Um, and I learnt to ask for help eventually. I eventually learnt that and I'm still learning that. Um, but, you know, asking people around me who had been there, done that before and who were a bit older, wiser than me, you know, mentor-type conversations without labelling it as a will-you-be-my-mentor um, role, just to, just kind of like this, you know, just to see um, how other people went about figuring things out. So that openness to receiving advice and, and support is something that I've really increased along the way. Yeah. I don't even know where to go from there. There's so many, um, <laughs> so many things in that around. And, and I think, I mean, I work a lot with students coming through the degree and I think it's really mm. helpful and refreshing to know that those skills are so are transferable. It's not just mm -hmm. the book learning, but it's, you know, the adaptability and adapting to change. But also I think it's really important to recognise what your preference is. And some people don't like that. Some people like consistency and they like security and they like stability and that's totally fine. There are yeah. jobs out there for that. There are so many, yeah. such a broad field. And if the job doesn't exist, you can do similar to what you do. We have two things part-time or you can kind mm. of create this. We can have, so there's, and they don't teach you that. No. <laughs> they don't, and I'm sure even as a mature age student going through the qualifying MSW, they don't talk mm. about that. It's, you no, know, you can mix and match it and you can do part-time here and you can transition to this or you could do locum or you could volunteer or you can adjust that for a different role it's yes um, exactly there's so many options and not to feel stuck um, sometimes a lot of options can feel overwhelming as well so there's that flip side of it too but um, you know I, I certainly you know pick one and start with it and see how it goes um, and take that pressure off um, and know that there's a professional network or even your personal network around to support you along the way if you feel like you know, something's not for you. But yeah, having options to, um, to jump into. 
I think um, the area that you're in around family violence and women's, in particular women being the, um, the ones in the refuge, what mm. are some, I, mean, I know that's an area that a lot of people would be interested in. What are some of the things maybe to consider when working in that space or um, frameworks or model? Like, how would you start? Where would be a good place to start? Because you sound like you've done the mm. grunt work during the active night shift mm. and case <laughs> management. So you've started right at the kind of the hard hours in the kind of mm. part of the night where there could be a crisis and probably one of the least experienced staff members at the time mm. thrown in the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> What's that like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great question. <laughs> um, definitely thrown in the deep end and often that's the best way for me anyway. Um, and gosh, to approach that, um, that area and things to consider when working in that area, I guess um, knowing and I'll probably say this a few times, I guess, you know, knowing yourself at least enough to, you know, to start off with around knowing yourself and your framework. So working in that space um, certainly requires um, and leans itself strongly to a feminist framework um, or at least a systemic or a structural or an anti-oppressive framework, you know, the, starting in some of those places around, um, you know, understanding that things are happening um, around um, around people and that the personal is political and the political is personal and that kind of approach. Um, I really, yeah, I really could see that happening in action. Um, things to consider in this space, I mean, the reality of it day to day is that, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're in it with them. You know, you, you can't necessarily go away and, um, you know, research on the spot. You can't run and check a textbook or a Google or, you know, so there's an element of trusting your training and trusting your knowledge base and trusting your instincts as well. So there's this kind of combination of that, those things at play when you're in the moment um and then you know you go away you reflect you get supervision you figure it out and you're oh i probably could have done a thousand things differently but you know um things to consider is that when you're in that space you're just working with such raw real human needs and responses and the the best thing that i learned and that i'm still learning is to just be your your authentic self you know and people know people relate to that um the other things to consider you know, that come to mind are things like vicarious trauma happens. Um, that's, it's, it just does. It's going to happen at some point. Um, and how, to, I guess, some acceptance of that, you know, takes that, takes that fear of, is it going to happen to me away? Um, and then related to that are uh, um, having self-care practices, you know, knowing yourself, knowing your early warning signs, your triggers, you know, what works having a supportive network around you, um, knowing also your drivers in this line of work, you know, what's motivating you to be in this space, I think is really important when you come to doing those reflections, either personally or in supervision, around, you know, am I in it to save people? Am I in it to give advice to people? And I think 
you know, certainly I'm, I would caution in that, in that way, but exploring that about yourself and being honest internally. Why, why am I interested in working with women who are homeless, who are very often recovering from trauma, domestic um, and family violence or sexual assaults? You know, these are the real, these are real issues. And why am I interested in being here in that space with them? So I think that's a really important piece. I probably, you know, in many fields, but in this one in particular, um, I feel that, yeah, um, being honest about, about those drivers. And again, that comes down to that authenticity as well. Um, something else that um, is related to that framework comment before is around reducing, working to reduce the power imbalance when you're with, um, people who experience homelessness or are recovering from domestic and family violence. Um, they've already had layers and layers of that already. Um, and so when you're with them, really being conscious of how to, how to um, just be on an equal playing field as much as you can in that space. And so then, yeah, being incredibly person-centred, letting, you know, letting that woman or that person drive your interaction so those, those are, I guess, that more interpersonal micro level considerations. Um, and I guess, yeah, a main one that I, you know, I'm sure everybody says is just supervision, supervision, supervision. Um, and that's certainly something I received. It's certainly something I provide, um, you know, for people who are um, either generalist social workers or wanting to think about or dabble or already practicing in these, um, these spaces. Um, and being able to to have your own space where you can process stuff um, and just lay it all out there. And again, that's a whole other conversation, isn't it, around being, you know, um, being brave in supervision and being, you know, letting that be your space where you can be your, where you get to be raw and, um, and explore things. Yeah. I really, um, it, the power imbalance thing really stood out to me in an, uh, mm. the episode before yours. We talked mm. about, how you can be the one with the power in these settings with your clients, Absolutely. but also feel powerless in the broader system yeah. and the political discourse or mm. the structure of the organization, like whatever it is. And so you can be sometimes between a rock and a hard place of trying to not, mm. not come across in a very powerful way with the client, but still in the position of authority of mm. either you could withhold service, you can make recommendations, you can go over, like you are in a position of power in these roles always. Yes. And then at the same time, feel completely hopeless and powerless yes. to change the bigger system. Yeah. And that, that, that's going to happen. It's completely yes. unavoidable. Yeah, that's right. It's such a good point. And, um, you know, even when we are feeling powerless and hopeless, it's, that's so real. And I think we do need to acknowledge that internally and whether or not you acknowledge that, you know, externally out loud with the client and say, you know, I, I get it. I feel this with you. Um, we still, there's a part of me that advocates that we still need to hold that hope for that person. That, that is our job. Even when we feel the powerless, powerlessness, we still need to hold the hope when someone else is feeling hopeless. And that, can have an impact and that can be draining. And then that is where you need your networks and your supervision and your reflection, reflective practice. So yeah, it's, it's hard, but 
juicy and wonderful at the same time. You're in, you're in people's lives. You're right in there. <laughs> yeah, I think holding the space and the hope is really important. And I mean, I do a lot mm. of ACT work. That's one of my modalities. And it makes me think about your values and maybe it links back to what you were saying about why you're doing that because you can still, mm -hmm. if you value compassion or authenticity or being a good listener, whatever it is, you can do that every single day to every single client and live those mm -hmm. values completely and wholeheartedly, even mm -hmm. if the system doesn't change. And you can still work to change it, but you can still mm -hmm. do what it is that you wanted to live by and you can do that daily. Yes, exactly. And that's felt, that's like emitted from you or omitted from you. You know, it's, it's permeating from you. People can tell. Yeah. So now you kind of, we've gone around your journey into <laughs> some of the stuff. So tell us a bit about your personal service. So the, um, the private practice and then your side project as well. Yeah, absolutely. So my private practice, um, like I said, just kind of started out with this passion and seeing this gap, seeing this problem, um, and that was, yeah, last year, you know, kind of maybe June last year. And I set about um, doing that one day a week. Um, so one day a week I provide therapeutic counselling, um, psychological strategies to uh, women who are at the homelessness shelter um, and recovering from domestic and family violence and um, also people at a number of other homelessness services as well so um, that's that's really where I started private practice is in the I started it in the social enterprise type of work that's well the work that is now my social enterprise so um, I realized that this is beyond me I love this um, and I I want to do so much more work in this space but I can't do it alone so um, I decided to think big and I haven't stopped and I'm still thinking big. Um, and I guess what that means is that um, I would hope that we can provide services and counseling um, in this, in these spaces to any of these suitable NGOs, any supportive accommodation site, um, certainly in this city and um, other cities in Australia. And I think that, accredited mental health social workers can really play a huge role in this space because we understand uh, we're trained for this level of complexity you know we we see um, systems and structures at play and we but we also have that um, acute individual um, interpersonal engagement focus as well so yeah so I personally I see uh, people for therapy and I also run a private practice um, and grow this social enterprise as well. So I have people working uh, with me as subcontractors who are also accredited mental health social workers. Um, and they also have this kind of juggle of roles. So they also have a full-time job elsewhere um, or a, you know, 80% job elsewhere. And they offer one day or one evening um, a week or a fortnight to, um, yeah, the, the fourth space social enterprise, which is working with yeah, women and families who are experiencing DV and homelessness. So um, there's kind of a role for everybody in that space. 
Um, and uh, the NGOs that we're working with, um, we go into their sites as a visiting service provider model. So just to be clear that that's, sorry if I didn't explain that, that's how that works. Um, obviously now, um, I don't know if I should say, I guess, or not the time that we're living in, but under the current um, you know, pandemic situation, we're now switching to virtual. So there's that um, for the moment as well, but we do certainly hope to return to face-to-face -face service um, as much as possible when, when we can. And so, yeah, the NGOs that are collaborating with us um, are responding in ways that they're reporting so many other benefits, which is just wonderful. So they're saying there's less crises on site um, that they then have to manage in after hours times. There's less call outs from emergency services um, as a result, you know, police and ambulance don't have to come as frequently for those people. They're able to get on with their core business, like applying for housing. Um, so it's really this um, kind of team approach where we've, we're filling this gap so that other things can continue and people can get that momentum of that mental health support. Because we know that, you know, the evidence and the research does say that mental health is one of the key missing links in breaking the cycles of homelessness and sustaining tenancies and recovering from domestic and family violence. So. Yeah, I think that this work is just so, um, it's wonderful and it's critical, yeah. So for those who are really intrigued by this, where are you located and how can they get involved? Mm. Um, we are currently located in Brisbane and they can contact me directly um, and I'm, you know, sure you can provide my contact details. Our yep, website. Note. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yep. So uh, my mainstream website is available at the moment and um, we're working to build um, the website for the social enterprise in a way that's engaging to a variety of audiences. So that's jenweedman.com and then also fourthspace.com.au will be up and running shortly. Um, so yeah, if you're in Brisbane, uh, let us know if you're interested. Um, there's obviously a range, like I said, a range of ways people can get involved as an already accredited mental health social worker and ready to try dabbling a few hours a week or a day a week or whatever fits your schedule as well. Um, also, there's space for volunteering in other roles, you know, um, further promotion and getting other partnerships on board. So there's opportunities happening in those spaces. Um, and also, if, uh, if you have pro bono interests as well, I mean, there's that as well. But really, one of, the, one of the areas I'm passionate about is supporting accredited mental health social workers as well and really raising the profile um, of, of this discipline nationally and showing, um, showcasing um, the incredible work that we're capable of doing and um, being able to change people's lives. So. Yeah, there's a range. Um, I don't do social medias at this stage. Um, that's my own kind of self-care health regime. Um, but I am on LinkedIn as well, if you would like to find me that way. Great. So I'll put uh, links to those in the show notes. And just sort of, you know, kind of as the last couple of minutes, what are some maybe either advice you'd give to someone or your past self, knowing what you know now, or just where to go to learn more about maybe if this sector is right for someone. So any kind of words and wisdom of where to go 
with your career if you're just starting out or changing Absolutely. yeah that's right yeah there's no wrong turn um yeah so one piece of advice um I mean, there's so much. For me, what stands out is being willing to explore yourself first, um, be willing to know yourself deeply um, and to face your own weaknesses and your own gaps. And then, and this is obviously lifelong, and then we become more and more relatable, more and more in our own skin and more and more an authentic person and then practitioner as well. So I think it starts with us. It starts with that deep introspection. Um, so that would be, I guess, a parting piece of advice. Certainly um, people say that throughout your journey, but, you know, it, it comes through that lived experience of, of practising, you know, getting in there. Um, I think something I wish I'd known earlier in my piece was the business element of of running a practice, um, you know, that's certainly not included in our social work degrees is how to run a private practice and have that, those business components. So that's a huge learning curve for me, which, you know, um, I'll take it <laughs> um, and I'll figure it out and I'll do it. Um, but certainly, you know, um, that's something I wish that I had known earlier. So I'm seeking out a lot of, you know, business minded people who can help me along the way in that journey as well. Um, the, um, the other thing I was going to say, what was your, what was your other question there? For those who maybe want to get into the, maybe in the field or see if it's a good fit, what, yeah. you know, are there any books that they should read resources they should tap into or train? Like what, what can they can consider mm. to maybe either upskill or even just to kind of test it out a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So I guess a few things come to mind for that. So some kind of uh, safer, more distanced ways of testing things out in for DV or homelessness would be to kind of sign up to relevant bodies and newsletters, check out their websites and get that information coming to see how you respond to it and how you feel about it. So that could be things like um, the Mental Health Professionals Network, that could be um, the Queensland Centre for Domestic and Family Violence Research. Um, it could also be AHURI, which is a homelessness national peak body. And then also getting involved in things like those themed days or themed months. So see what it feels like to participate or attend at um, a DV month activity or the sexual assault month activity or women's week um, and see what that feels like when you're engaging with maybe planning or attending those events and people, other people who are attending those events, homelessness day, mental health week. So there's a range of um, range of those kinds of awareness raising days and months. Um, the other thing, uh, a few books come to mind. One in particular uh, is very recent. Um, it's called see what you made me do by Jess Hill. And it's um, a very well-written book. Um, I do you know, put a bit of caution around it that some of the content can be a bit heavy. Um, so bear that in mind if you're choosing to read that. Um, but it discusses the nuances of domestic and family violence and the powers at play in that. So I think that's a really good one if you are thinking about the, the DV space in particular. Um, I would highly recommend that. 
Um, and social workers, we're often trained in being generalists, you know, so um, taking the steps to dabble is really important. One thing across the board, I guess, that stood out to me is this, I'll send you the, the image of it if you like. It's this uh, Japanese concept, and I'm probably going to get the pronunciation wrong. It's called Ikigai. I-K-I-G-A-I. Yep, I-K-I, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's got these beautiful concurrent circles happening and, you know, it's, it's around helping us uh, figure out our purpose or our passions. You look like you know it as oh, well. Oh, I love I loved doing yeah. that. It's, yeah. it's so much fun. Aren't they? So, yeah, and just playing with, um, playing with those domains. What is it that I love? What is it that I'm good at? What is it that I can be paid for? And what is it that the world needs? And just kind of, um, yeah, doubling and putting that as a layer over the top of, is it the DV space? Is it the homelessness space? Is it the mental health space? Is it two of those, you know? Um, So I definitely would recommend having a play with that model. Yeah. Yeah, some really interesting things. So I'll put a I'll put a note um, in the show notes about that book um, by Jess Hill and some of your tips around maybe engaging with your local MHPN. Yeah. events national days and i think that's a really that's a really good idea because you know we had um in an early episode kate taylor talking about um networking as part of building a bit of a professional brand Mm. those those networks are really important not just for job seeking but it does help you get a smoother service if you know the person Mm. and it's not that i mean it is a it is a small field it is kind of clicky and your reputation can follow you so you want to be doing those things really well but it also means that you can kind of debrief with someone or you can pick up the phone you can know them by name you might have come across them they might see you volunteer or Mm -hmm. and there's so many different ways to get involved yeah absolutely growing and maintaining a strong network right from the beginning is incredibly invaluable absolutely Great. So it has been, it's so interesting. And I, we could have had uh, multiple yes. conversations around even just digging further into the, the skills required into this space and some yes. of the trauma work. Mm. Um, and maybe we can do that at another time. But thank yeah. you so much for sharing your story. It has been so interesting. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been an honour. Thanks. Um, yeah, any, any kind of last tip? Oh, last tip? Um, be yourself and have fun with it. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much, Marie. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode's resources and don't forget to click subscribe and review us wherever it is you get your podcasts.